Hey there, welcome back to another episode of How to Live the Podcast, where your hosts and our names are Jess and Steph Dadon. Hello there. How's it going? It's going good. How's it going with you? So good. I feel like we have a major week this week. Well, I am particularly excited about getting to warmer weather. Mm, So this coming Thursday, we're actually going to Brisbane for the Iconic Swim Show. So not sure if you've noticed, but tubes are now on the Iconic, which is a really exciting step for us in this business journey. And they have their big annual swimwear show in Brisbane at the Khalil Hotel, which we have been dying to check out. So that is where we are going to be spending our Thursday night. And also we're going to be wearing some How to Live x sunglasses, which launched last week. If you didn't see, you can now shop them at tubes.com or in stores at David Jones. Mm, so good. I freaking love those sunnies. Oh. Something else that's happening this week that's ginormous is my very, very, very best friend is getting married on Sunday. Shout out to Charlotte. So that's And Holly. Who- Sorry, weddings are about two people, aren't they? <laughs> are they? Yeah, so that's super exciting. And I'm a bridesmaid Yay. and Steph's coming I'll and my mom's coming. So that's going to be a really fun weekend. And, oh my God, I'm so excited to see her dress. Same. Oh my goodness, it's going to be amazing. So this week on the podcast, whoa, do we have an episode for you? We have the fabulous Dita Von Tease on the podcast, people. Oh my goodness. So you would know Dita as a burlesque dancer, model, costume designer, entrepreneur, singer, actress. She's, she's all the things, really. She's all the things. And what we learned is she's so much more than all of those things. If you hadn't already heard, Dita is actually on tour in Australia right now. So if you Google it, you might even be able to get some tickets to one of her incredible shows. So when we were recently in LA, we were very, very lucky to get the rare chance to sit down with Dita in her home in LA. And can I just tell you, this home is exquisite. It is gorgeous. Each room is themed and we were just totally blown away to be there. And also just blown away by how normal Dita Von Tees is, which we are finding out more and more is the case with celebrities. So we had a super interesting conversation with Dita when we were actually listening back to edit the podcast. We were like, whoa, we are on fire. These questions are so good. Um, We chat to Dita about beauty and aging, about her idea of what feminism is, how to feel confident in the bedroom, which I mean, we have some sexy talk. Yeah, we need some help with. So it was welcomed advice. (laughs) And also what food Kylie Jenner snuck into Dita's dressing room. Oh, you got me hooked on the Kylie Jenner thing. Mm, So as per usual, stick around to the end of the episode to find out what duo is on next week. A duo, you say? I say a duo. And until then, enjoy Dita. Jewel what was Jewel? I missed that. It's actually like a vegetarian restaurant, but it's amazing. Like even if you're not vegetarian, like my boyfriend, I had to drag him there. And then he's like, can we go back tomorrow? You know, so. Yeah, we're so into that stuff. We yeah. went to buy Chloe in New York. Yeah. There's one very near to here too. Oh, is, oh, it? is it here? Yeah. Everyone was like raving about it. And so we went and we were so excited. But to be honest, we have such good vegan food mm-hmm. in Australia. Oh, will you please send me all of those addresses oh, for when oh, I'm there? Yes. Because yeah, that's, you're heading to Australia and tour yeah. soon, right? 
we thought we could start by taking you back to the beginning Mm -hmm. and I guess asking you like, what did you want to be when you grew up? I wanted to be a ballerina. I'm not really sure why, like when I first thought that I wanted to be a ballerina, but I just did. (laughs) My mother collected antiques and we lived in an antique house. Her best friend's father owned an antique store. So I was kind of around old things all the time too. So I think that's kind of what sparked my interest in old things. My mother liked to watch old movies. So I grew up kind of like already loving glamour and beautiful tactile things, you know, the glamour of another time. So yeah, I wanted to be a ballerina. I went to the only ballet school in the tiny little town I was from that had like 4,000 people. And it wasn't always a ballet teacher in the town. The ballet school had 4,000 people? Or no, the no, town the, had sorry, 4, the town people. had oh, okay. 4,000 people. So I, there was, I got it. Sometimes <laughs> there was a ballet school and then sometimes there wasn't. And so I kind of like sporadically got to take ballet lessons all through my childhood. I used to clean the bathrooms in exchange for dance classes. And sometimes I think back on that. I was like, I was like eight years old and was like, can I clean the bathrooms in exchange for class? And they were just like, yeah. And to me, it seemed very like logical. Yeah. But I wonder if I even did a good job or they just felt sorry for me and let me take the classes. They must have thought you were such a badass. Like they must have just been like, look at this driven kid. Well, they probably didn't think that because I was shy and quiet. So somehow I probably just was like, I need to take these ballet classes. And So I didn't, I probably didn't seem driven. I'd probably seemed desperate and kind of strange, (laughs) you know. It's kind of cool to like look back now because when we were reading about you and like there were these things in your life, there was the ballet, there was your love of like that 1940s that, you know, Mm -hmm. your mom obviously really kind Mm -hmm. of instilled in you. And it's almost like preordained, like, of course, it was going to lead you to where you are, but... Mm -hmm. At the time, you kind of never know those things, you know? Yeah, no, I would not. But I think it's interesting, even my life aside, when I look at other people's lives or I talk to people about things that are like really prevalent in their lives, they can always connect it to something that they experienced in their childhood. Once you were doing like the ballet and you had kind of grown up a little bit, what was the first job that you had? Besides babysitting and that kind of thing? Mm -hmm. Let's see. I think the very first job I had... I worked in a pizza place for like a week or something and I couldn't stand it because I was always hungry. <laughs> I was like, I wanted to just eat pizza all the time. And the pizza place was next to my, where my mom worked in a nail salon. And then next to that, there was a lingerie store called Lady Ruby's Lingerie. And that's what I was obsessed with. We would visit them all the time. And finally, and I was like, can I work here? Can I count things or something? Can I work in the stock room? And they finally gave me a job there. And I must have been like 14 or 15, first in the back, and then eventually got to be on the sales floor. And that's where I learned about lingerie. And I worked in lingerie for years. I think I worked in a flower store for a few minutes too, maybe aside from the lingerie store. But lingerie was always an obsession for me too. When I was little, I used to steal my mom's bras out of her drawer because I was kind of, what are these secret things that ladies wear under their clothes? Mm. And so I always loved that. And that's another thing that obviously carried into my adult life. I love all this confidence that you had, like the way, you know, you went to this ballet studio and you were like, can I clean for classes? And Mm -hmm. then you just like went into this lingerie store as Mm -hmm. well. And it's funny because you said you were really a shy kid. Did you have like this inner kind of confidence? You exude it now, but like, was that something you had then? I don't feel like I had confidence as much as I felt like I was like one of those adult children, you know, and you, Mm, (laughs) everyone is always like, I mean, and I felt that way too very adult, like 
how much longer before I am a grown up and can make up my make my own decisions? Is what which is why I always had a job. You know, I realized pretty early on that if I had my own money, I could do what I wanted, and it was independence. But I would never call myself confident in my like youth and teenage years. I just think I was kind of like adultish, but very shy and reserved. When I think about confidence, I think more about like now, where I can get in front of a room full of thousands of people and give a speech, mm. you know, for oh. the AIDS fund, you know, like that I, takes I can do that. Like I could never have done that when I was in high school or yeah. even in yeah. my 20s. And like, there's a bunch of things now that I think like that took confidence, but I didn't have that. What about in terms of like your beauty, you know, because obviously, you know, you're so beautiful and like the world celebrates that about you. Did you always feel beautiful in your own skin or was that more of a journey for you? No, and I always think, you know, when you say that, I think, uh, I feel like people celebrate what I made, not what I am, you know? Like, I don't feel like I'm not a celebrated beauty, uh, quotes, (laughs) you know? I'm not like an Elle McPherson or a supermodel. If people celebrate me for anything, it's for like the illusion of fantasy and glamour and all that stuff because I'm like, I'm just, you know... I'm a dishwater blonde from a farming town in Michigan. And I honestly, sometimes people go, oh, no, no, you're so, I'm looking at you with no makeup on. But, you know, every year I wear like a blonde or light brown kind of wig straight. I take off all the red nail polish and lipstick and go beige and wear like a T-shirt and jeans. And I can tell you, everyone looks past me. Why do you do I get that? Complete, I do that because I think it's the funniest Halloween costume that I could wear. And also it's a psychological experiment. And I always think like, oh, when people are like, no, you'd be pretty even without all your stuff. And I go, okay, I can tell you. Yeah, okay, fine. I'm not ugly or something, you know, typically, you know, <laughs> but like I don't have that like thing that people want to know who I am and what I do. Yeah. That's well, something I've created. You know, I made it up. I think... What you just said there is so important because what's most beautiful about somebody is when you can tell that they feel really comfortable and they're Mm -hmm. kind of like exuding themselves. And so maybe it's not that when you're dressed up in that beige wig that you're not beautiful, but it's that maybe it comes across that you're not yourself. And I think what's so this is I'm sitting in front of you and you are so yourself. And I think there's nothing more beautiful that anyone can do with that. That's exactly what I believe too. And, you know, it is fun to snap back to that and know how it feels. And, you know, I've been snapped back into that, like with photo shoots that maybe someone says, oh, let's do you all natural. I want to take your picture with no makeup on. Oh, and secretly, this really happens, secretly telling the makeup artist to kind of, make me have dark circles that I didn't have. I mean, this is like they do 15 that. years ago. And I was like, what? Like to sabotage mm-hmm. it? Yeah, to make me look more real. And oh. I was sort of like, whoa, this isn't... And just that feeling of like, wow, somebody trying to really like tear you down. How about don't let that happen? And here's another thing from my childhood. <laughs> I always remember this. Do you remember the Phil Donahue show? I don't know mm-hmm. if that was big here, but or, you know, in, in Australia, sure. it wasn't at all. But Phil Donahue was like the first like talk show host and he you know in the 70s and 80s he was the most famous talk show host and he did this show where he had all these ladies that had been wearing their same hair and makeup maybe since the 50s and 60s like they're they get up early before their husbands and do their lashes and their blue eyeshadow and their bouffant you know like these really like big looks and they were like we're going to give them a makeover And this is like in the 80s or something. And I remember it so well. And they gave these ladies a makeover and they were just like deflated and sad. And I was like, why'd you do that to them? You know, Uh. none of them were happy. They were sort of like 
taken out of their comfort zone. And I thought like, and everyone was applauding it and like, yeah, you look so great. And they were just like, okay, mm, not you know, feeling not it. really. And so I always remembered that too. And that's part of why I kind of try to stand my ground now when photographers want to like photograph me with no makeup. I can totally relate to what you're saying that like, I wear my clothes as a kind of like armor as well. And like, it just makes me feel more me. Yeah. And if I go out and I'm just like in trackies and I bump into people, I'm I'm kind of like going into mm-hmm. myself and I'm not mm-hmm. feeling good about myself. And I think everybody kind of has that in their yeah. own way with yeah. their own style. Going back to kind of like your career journey, we didn't know that much about like the history of burlesque or anything like that. So just from reading it, you know, we can see that you really revived that kind of like heart of the burlesque dancing scene. How did that happen? I think pretty much by accident. The way all the best things happen, Yeah, I mean, I never, I didn't have anyone in modern times that I was like, oh, she's a huge burlesque star. I could be too. I was just doing something that I thought was fun. I was working in legit strip clubs. In the mid-90s, I was a fetish model. I was like the modern Betty Page and the only one really kind of filling that void at the time and also posing for Playboy. Playboy had all these like newsstand specials in the 90s, which were like called the Book of Lingerie. And and I was in those every month. So I was kind of like had a little like fame as this like pinup girl. And I worked in a strip club and then I started like headlining strip clubs. Mm-hmm. You know, when I first started working in this strip club, it was like a little dive strip club. I was dressing in vintage style and corsets and, you know, had the whole look already. And I didn't really say like, oh, I'm a burlesque dancer. I was just like, I'm just a stripper in my vintage outfits. And then I kind of started discovering more about when I was researching pinup and how to recreate pinup photos, I'd find a lot of those girls that were in those men's magazines of the 1930s and 40s and 50s. Most of them were burlesque dancers. And I was like, whoa, what's that? And then I kind of put it together. I was like, it's kind of what I'm doing already. Then I should take this next level. And it kind of just went from there and the shows got bigger and bigger and you know, this was in the early 90s when I first started. So it took a while to get to this point where I'm doing these big theaters. I love that. Like, you just can't plan for that stuff. You know, like, had you been, you know, in your early 20s and like set out, like, I want to be this massive burlesque dancer, you know, it just would have been a completely different thing. But, Mm -hmm. you know, you just had this like, genuine inquiry and passion um, and interest and then it kind of like formed your career path which is really inspiring. And also the thing is you know because I hear it all the time people are always like I'm going to be the next biggest I'm going to be a bigger burlesque star than you and I'm like okay (laughs) um, go ahead but the thing is like a lot of people are looking for fame or the reward like Some people are doing it all for the wrong reason, you know, whether they're acting or whatever it is. If you're not like doing it because you absolutely love it, that's when people just give up because they're like, oh, I'm not going to be famous after all. Nobody's sending me fancy clothes or diamonds. And then they give up and they move on. It's like my reward was already there. Mm. I remember so well, like in the mid late 90s, being in a strip club in Fond du Lac, Wisconsin, and having a billboard for the CD strip club and my picture on it. And I was like, this is it. This is my most famous. <laughs> this is my shining moment. This is the most, this is my 15 minutes of fame. And yeah. like taking a picture and like, I'm going to tell my kids about this. <laughs> you know, I was happy in the moment, you know, whereas some people are always looking to what they don't have that somebody else has. Mm. I never saw it that 
way. And even now I'm like, wow, I'm like really grateful for every moment I'm in here. One of the biggest questions I get is like, what are you going to do next? I'm like, I'm just going to keep doing what I do, which is try to be better every day. But I don't really think like I'm going to make a full length feature film about my life. Like I'm not, I don't make goals. It'll probably happen. I just say, I just say like, I just want to be the best right now that I can possibly be. And maybe the reward from that will come. Yeah. Maybe it won't, but either way, I'm still having fun. Mm. That's what it's all about, right? You've got to have fun. And like you said, people that are always asking what's next, you don't get to just like stop and enjoy the moment. And the universe is watching. You know, I always think that's the number one thing I take away from my career is like, I look at my whole career and I think I did things in a way that was like authentically motivated, not like trying to be famous or trying to be better than that person. It's like, I just did it because I liked it. And it's a fluke that I became famous for this. Well, or is it a fluke or it's kind of like that's, your reward for being so authentic and it kind of just obviously naturally follows that people are drawn to that going back to like stripping that you were doing in the 90s like Mm -hmm. I feel like nowadays with social media there are so many downsides but a plus side is that like you know women are embracing their sexuality Mm -hmm. a lot more and being celebrated for it but you were doing that at a totally different time that's another reward that I'm like oh I felt a definite shift when I came out with my first book, which was basically a big hardcover book that one side is all, it's called Burlesque and the Art of the Tees and Fetish and the Art of the Tees. And I really just, it was a photo book with kind of a loose story about why I love these things. And I came out with that book and I had all these female fans suddenly, because it like in the nineties, I was like a playboy model. I had a lot of dudes. Male follow, fans. You know, yeah, straight mm. male fans following me. But when I wrote my book and I told my story and got kind of decked down about why I love the 1940s and how I looked to the past, it kind of resonated with other women. Like I found my confidence through like what I could create rather than what I was born with and having different role models of beauty and sensuality and eroticism than just like what we see on the Victoria's Secret runway. I could never achieve that. I think when I came out with my book, which was just, I didn't say, how can I get the women to follow me? I just did it, you know? Mm. And the same thing with like when I first did my lingerie collection, I did a fashion show with my collections and I featured women of different ages, different sizes and shapes and different ethnicities across the board. It's just because I wanted to see them in my lingerie and because Mm. I enjoy that. It wasn't for my brand at all. It was just because that's what I like. And I always got excited about individual people just the same way I cast my burlesque show is like, I want to see people not just people represented, but I also want the best people in the show, you know? I've, and a lot of times those aren't just your cookie cutter pinup girls or girls in their 20s, you know? It's just something that I aesthetically like and I get fascinated by people with bodies that are different than mine and like, wow, how beautiful. I was casting performers that were changing my mind about burlesque that were doing things that I just thought were amazing, you know, the people that bring the house down. And then I found that all those really good shows, like... A lot of the like pretty little pinup girls or girls that are kind of like me or whatever, you know, like those the girls that are trying to, you know, fit into that 40s stereotype. I was like, oh, it's like I've seen that show. I've seen that show a bunch of times. But then people like Dirty Martini just like brings the house down. And like some of these performers I'd see and I'd just be like, "That's that's a good show, you know. And I just found naturally those people were different. And I kind of... I feel I have a lot in common with them too because 
listen, I'm not a great dancer. You know, I never was. Otherwise, I probably would have been a ballerina. I'm not a great dancer. If I had been a great dancer, I wouldn't be a burlesque dancer. I wouldn't have taken this path. I probably would have done something else. Mm. So I'm grateful in a lot of ways that I was not a good enough dancer to be in the ballet companies or other dance companies. This is another thing. It's like <laughs> turning lemons into lemonade here because it wouldn't have made me be like, I don't think I'll be a stripper. But I guess I have it kind of like, connects me to people when I see other people that are different and found a roundabout way at achieving greatness other than just being born that way. You know, I just love seeing people that you're cheering for and they make you, they walk out on stage and you're like, what's this going to do? And then they bring it and it's really exciting. And also it gives people like you know, I always say this about myself too. When people knock me down and say, she's not this, she's not that, I go, listen, I'm giving other people hope in the world. Because if I'm not perfect and I can do something with my life that I love, you should be glad that there's examples of that. I almost feel like it comes back to your appreciation of antiques. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like the newest, shiniest yeah. thing. It's just like you appreciate like something's true mm-hmm. beauty. Mm-hmm. The beauty marks. So you were kind of talking before about how when you wrote your book, you started to hear from other women and you felt like you could really empower them. What does your work kind of give to you? And and how do you feel like dancing kind of empowers you and and gives Mm -hmm. to other women? I don't like to say that so much because I feel like everyone has their own things that they like. And I would never tell someone, I am here. I'm the one that is going to show you the way because I don't feel that way at all. Again, it was sort of natural where I'm like, I'm going to do this and see, and I'm going to tell you why I do it. And if you feel the same, come with me. But if you don't, that's totally fine too, because I would never just be here preaching that like strip tease is the answer to everyone's problems and confidence. <laughs> that's so stupid, you know, because that that's one of the things that I love about you know, striptease and a lot of other things. It's like one person finds it degrading, another person finds it empowering. And why is that? And it's important that we do have examples of both of those things. Like, you know, it's the same thing when I think about porn or something like, I don't know about you, but I've always like followed like really fancy, like high level pornography, like from the nineties, they used to make these big budget things like filmed in Paris with beautiful clothes and beautiful girls and like cars from the 1930s. And I loved this kind of like glossy sex and eroticism, Mm -hmm. just like I like to read an erotic novel that weaves a tale of beauty and it makes your imagination and fantasies go wild. I feel the same way about burlesque, but you know, somebody might be like, oh, I would never read a dirty book. You know, oh, I would never watch that movie. But it's important that there are things like that for those of us that do feel good watching things like that or want to have that part of our life fulfilled in that way. We can no longer just say, this is what it is to be a feminist, and we don't do this and we don't do that. Now we have lots of different kinds of feminism, and we have the ultimate definition now, I think, about being a feminist is like we have to respect each other's boundaries and what that we are different kinds of feminists. You can't just say anymore, this is what it means. Mm. The basic thing I think it means is having the same rights as other people. And if that means wanting to work in a strip club or wanting to be a sex worker of any kind, 
and profit from it, then I think that everyone has a right to that. Mm, for sure. It's kind of like that about veganism. Like mm-hmm. whenever there's like, it's militant and it's like this one way. It well, doesn't work yeah. anymore. It doesn't work anymore. It's, no, it's counterproductive. not working in 2019. No. So you're going to have to change your minds and you have to open your thoughts up to new ideas because if you are sticking to the old ideas then you're going to get trampled. Thinking about a woman who embraces her sexuality and knows who she is, you definitely come to mind. Even like hearing you talk about what kind of porn you like to watch. A lot of people, they can't do that. Um, So Mm -hmm. even that is incredible. And I guess, what do you think is like the key to a woman embracing her sexuality? Like how can she feel great about herself and find herself? I mean, I think a lot of things go back to like controlling circumstances where you can, laying out your boundaries and not being afraid to say what you want and how you want it. It's like, I feel like we've spent so much time apologizing or like, what is he going to, what would that person think of me if I say that I really need this in the bedroom, you know? So I think it's a lot about that, like uh, just setting those boundaries and not apologizing for it anymore. And again, controlling your circumstances as best you can. Like I always say, like even seduction someone was saying I don't feel I feel like I'm nervous about like seducing someone in my house or like your house is the place to do it where you can control all the circumstances instead of like and feel safe yeah so I don't know I think it's just things like that and and being firm about what you like and don't like and that's okay you you don't have to apologize for it anymore if you're like I don't give blowjobs that's (laughs) fine you can totally say that and doesn't make you less of a person Mm. <laughs> you know yeah like having no shame I am not doing that but I'll do this <laughs> and, that, and the other and confidence you know again it's like confidence and when, and when I was thinking about lingerie I mean I remember so well like working in the lingerie store as a teenager which is still kind of an intense thing to do when you're no doubt I feel like at of, any age that would probably be intense kind of because you have like men shopping for their women and and you sort of think you know what you need to do? And I remember learning this both from working. I worked in the makeup counter for a little while too. People want the same thing that they normally wear, but maybe better. You know, like I always say, even now when somebody asks me, how do I buy lingerie for my wife or girlfriend? I was like, look in her lingerie drawer and you buy something like that, but maybe even a little prettier, just nicer lace, something really fancy. But you have to like follow the parameters. Like you can't just be like, I'm going to buy her some edible underwear you're like <laughs> I mean you can't like a candy you can, string you, you can, yeah or something's just totally out of character like mm. stick with the character don't push people into we- doing or wearing things that make them feel weird totally and I think that just comes back to like you are like you're most confident you're most sexy when you're most yourself and like mm-hmm. if that means being in like Calvin Klein briefs for me it does yeah. sometimes yeah. then like that's freaking great totally you know? and it's also just, it's okay to try new things just to be like I'm never doing that again you know <laughs> totally there's a couple of really great books that I love about sex one of them Nina Hartley wrote called I think it's called Total Sex and I love that she's just like you know porn legend and she basically is like I've done everything there is to do sexually I've written it down in this book so you can or you may or may not try it it's up to you but she's like <laughs> I'm going to tell you everything about it and I just thought that's such a great thing to read all the details of like these things that you might want to try and maybe with the, somebody you're comfortable with you do try it, but you can also be like, I'm not so into this. (laughs) I gave it a go. We notice about you when we're looking at your style that you really seem to have this incredible appreciation for fashion. 
which is like quite rare now with fast fashion. We, mm-hmm. we buy things, we chuck them out. Like mm-hmm. it's just not the done thing to really like have that appreciation of, of vintage. Mm-hmm. Where did that come from? That came from not being able to afford designer clothes when I was a teenager. <laughs> I grew up in the 80s and I was in high school in the 80s uh, and graduated in the 90s. And I just, you know, I grew up in kind of like a upper middle class area and everyone had the cool sneakers and the cool jeans, like the designer jeans. And I didn't get to have any of that stuff. And so I kind of loved, I first of all, I wore a lot of lo- vintage lingerie and lingerie as outerwear, like little bustiers and capri pants and things like that, slips from the 50s that I'd try to tailor myself on my little sewing machine. But a lot of that just came from trying to find my style and not being, you know, thinking oh, if I, I can't afford that stuff that all these, my wealthy friends can afford. So I'm going to try to like get a cool look for less. And it started then. And of course, that was an easier time for shopping for vintage where you could get things super cheap. So that's how it started. And I also saw all these parallels between designers that I liked, like Paul Gaultier and the bullet bras and bustiers. So I'd go and find those things and try to get that look, you know, in Mm. the 90s. And Vivian Westwood, I was like, oh, that Vivian Westwood suit looks a little bit like a 40s suit. I'll get that and I'll kind of nip it in at the waist. So it was a lot to do with just trying to get like magazine editorial looks for less sadly or not sadly vintage is very valuable now and I also love vintage because it doesn't lose its value Mm. my collection is a very valuable asset to me now so it's like when you go buy that designer thing very few things keep their value it's like you'll end up if you or or fast fashion especially where does it end up you know totally in the trash sometimes Mm -hmm. so that's the other thing I like about old clothes yeah. We also, like, when we thought about how glam you look when you're performing, we were like, okay, surely this takes, like, a team of at least 12 people. Mm-hmm. And then we read that you do your own makeup. Yeah. I can't even – when I'm performing, I can't have hair and makeup people. Uh, I've tried it before because I thought, oh, wouldn't it be great to be doing all these shows somewhere? I think I had, like, a team of hair and makeup people when I was performing in, in Tokyo once. And they're, like, my – good friends too but I was like I honestly can't I can't sit down I'm so used to doing my show and having that alone time of nobody talking to me and thinking about what I'm gonna do and the interruptions of socializing it just doesn't work for me so I kind of lock myself in a room with one person that knows the routine that we don't you know we just sing along to music together but we don't talk about and nobody asks me anything important or like so what are you gonna what are you gonna do tomorrow I don't want to talk about it I'm working on showbiz right now and I just realized like doing my hair and doing my makeup I need to be moving around the room kind of, I don't know, it's hard for me to explain it, but I can't sit there and let somebody do it. And then they always make me late. Like I'm not late for me ever, but like other people, it's like I can get ready and be on stage on time. But I found that when I had other people working with me, that was not the case. I couldn't no longer control that time because I don't know how much more time they need. Mm. How long does it take you to do a full look? Well, I mean, when I'm doing a show, I like to get there really early because I do account for the time it takes me to read text messages, to maybe put a video on my official app, eat, stretch. I usually get there like five hours before and then kind of just like take my time getting ready. I don't like to be rushed. There's nothing worse than like... I need you to go on right now. I actually had a a thing like that recently where I was performing at this party and all the Kardashians were there and I was trying to get ready. And I think it was 
Kylie Jenner. I, I think it was Kylie or Kendall. I don't know which one. One of them wanted to eat a cheeseburger out of view. And they're like, can't you come back here and eat a cheeseburger real quick in your dressing room? I was like, sure. <laughs> um, the distractions slow everything down and suddenly it's like, you need to go on right now. And I'm like, I can't even get dressed this quickly, you know? Uh, so I kind of like try to keep all the distractions to a minimum. It was really, you know, fun, but it was also like getting thrown out there. It takes 20 minutes just to get those clothes on. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, you just got to get in the zone mentally I need to get in the zone well. and yeah. there's like stuff to think about, but it's also everything takes longer than you, you think it will. So Yeah, especially when Kylie Jenner's eating a cheeseburger next to you. Yeah, and I'm trying to be like, would you like a glass of champagne? Can I get, you know, I'm trying <laughs> to be like. Can I have a like, fry? <laughs> yeah and then questions like what's the wow those outfits look heavy they are <laughs> yeah. so something else that we've kind of seen you commenting about in the media as well which we were really interested to chat to you about was your view on like aging beauty mm -hmm. I guess because according to society our beauty fades with age so we'd love to hear like what's your kind of attitude and experience mm -hmm. with that gosh I mean I keep looking at women that are a little more advanced in their years than me to inspire me, you know. And I've been asked since I was 30 what I was going to do when I get old and I can't do this anymore. And I was like, I was only like, you know, 30, you know. <laughs> like, Spring chicken. good form. And I was sort of like at the very beginning of my, my mainstream career. And I was like, God, first of all, no one would be asking me this if I were a man. No way. But second of all, I was like, Wow, God, really? I feel like I'm pretty youthful, and I was. Oh, but I, I have that at the moment. I'm 31, and I feel like everyone's like, "When are you getting married? When oh are you having the God. kids? Like, come on, time's ticking." It's mm. like I feel like I just finished school. Yeah, like, there's a yeah, it's a new time, mm. and I kind of look toward you know, speaking of people having children later in life. Salma Hayek posting this picture of her in a bikini the other day mm -hmm. at 53 on her birthday. And I think she had a baby at like 47 or 48, right? Yeah, and Eva Longoria had a baby yeah, yeah. in her I mean, 40s recently. It's like, take care of yourself, of obviously. Time. I mean, yeah. they are like fit and active and all those things. I think that's important. But yeah, I look to women that are older than me and think like, oh, I need to see examples of, you know, women that are sensual and beautiful and living lives on their life on their terms and not apologizing for their sexuality and sensuality at their age. So that's always been important to me. So I also think it's important for me to set an example as well. So, you know, listen, I'm not trying to be on stage doing striptease at 70 years old. I'm not at all. I mean, I, I do think I will be involved in showbiz and I'd love to direct a show. And, you know, when I was, if I would have asked my 25-year-old self what I'd be doing when I'm 46, I would never imagined I'd be like going, getting ready to go on another tour to Australia with all new shows, you know, <laughs> but I think that there's meaning for people to see different examples of people displaying sensuality and eroticism on stage at different phases of life. I mean, it's just, we, we need to change the conversation. I was at a Pilates class a couple of years ago and I always remember this very well. You know, I go to this class and there's all these women of different shape sizes different ages there's a woman in there and there a couple women in their like 50s and early 60s and there always is you know and there was a girl like it was in the class before and she was like there was a magazine with Madonna posing nude a few years ago and a magazine for to promote a record and she was like she needs to keep her clothes on already what is she 50 she needs to just knock it off and I was sort of like you know what and I had to stop her I was like I just want to say you know we're all here 
trying to feel better, look better, whatever. We're all here taking these classes. Maybe you should be a little more sensitive in the conversation. And also, she looks better than you do. (laughs) (laughs) She's freaking Madonna. She's twice your age. But, But there is. I think there's a lot of like younger, young, especially young girls that don't see the sensitivity because they're not in it. But also there's something like, I feel like they often can feel threatened because, you know, what you have is when you have these powerful women like Madonna or Selma Hayek or Gwen Stefani, all these like women that are getting around 50, not only are they still beautiful, but they have potent erotic weaponry and wisdom that cannot be matched by Mm. someone without the experience, honestly. And I feel like some people feel threatened, Mm. but you can work on yourself and get that wisdom. And if you think about it differently, instead of just judging or or saying that you shouldn't be doing that because it's my turn to be the one in the spotlight. No, you can like be more, a little bit more thoughtful and and cultivate more than just your youth and your beauty. And that's why you get to be someone like Cher. (laughs) So, you know, I mean, Cher, I was just watching a video. If you put in a hashtag like Cher2019, and you see her on stage and she's like amazing. Yeah, she's unbelievable. She's amazing. It's mm. like Cher can plank for five straight minutes. <laughs> you guys. I can't like even plank Chuck for a Norris minute. Memes. I'm yeah. begging my trainer like after a minute to let me go into child's pose. Cher can do it for five straight minutes. So think about that next time you you become ageist about what you can do. Try to hold plank for five minutes. <laughs> Aging is Yes, you are on this like physical decline. That's a fact. Like people's voices will not maybe not be at their best if you're a singer and there is like things that you won't be able to do. It's common knowledge. But what if we work on our mental and the way that we are and our generosity and like inner beauty, you know, (laughs) to match what aging is doing? You know, I don't know. I think about that a lot. I feel like that is just kind of the perfect note to end this on. (laughs) This has been a really, really incredible conversation. We do always end off with some little quick fires. Okay. So we'd love to ask you a few quickie questions before Mm -hmm. we head off. Okay. We wrote here that we heard a rumor that you have blonde hair, but now you just confirmed it. Mm -hmm. Like how many times do you think you've dyed your hair black? Oh my God, more times than I want to count. And I, and I hate it every time. And with light hair between the blonde and the gray that's starting to come in, which I'm excited about because I look forward to being a silver fox one day, but it starts to look like my part gets wider and I start to look like I'm balding in little spots because you can see the blonde coming through and I hate having to dye it. But I do it. That's why I do it myself, though. I buy like a box of hair dye from you know, Amazon Prime and do it myself because I really like I can't imagine going to the beauty salon every two and a half weeks. You're so, so low maintenance. maintenance. Love it. <laughs> Where is your favorite place to shop vintage? Um, online. Definitely. I mean, Instagram, it's like if you start following all the good vintage dealers, you can get some good stuff. And Etsy keywords. I'm going to write about it in my book, all the keywords that you can look up. Good one. We'll be waiting for that book. Awesome. (laughs) So you're coming to Australia soon and you've been there quite a few times. So what's your Mm -hmm. favorite thing to do in Australia? Um, Besides hold a baby koala bear. Ah, (laughs) Did you? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my God. I've never held a baby koala bear. Oh, my God. So cute. Yeah. I mean, I think mostly what I love is my first – it's kind of like a special place to me because I was touring here in the U.S. with my show for a decade or so, and it was always impossible. Like, to get the show to another country was, like, 
impossible until I met promoters that got behind me and obviously Australian ticket holders that supported it and bought tickets. It was it kind of changed everything. Like everyone said it couldn't be done. And I felt like, wow, I, it could be done. And it kind of paved the way for all my other international touring. So when, when I couldn't do shows in London or France or whatever, you know, my, my big tour, I have Australia to prove that it could be done. We read that you get letters from fans and you read them on planes. Mm -hmm. Is there anything that a fan has written to you that really has stayed with you? Tons of them. I mean, so many, obviously. But there's one that I always think about. But there's always a common thread. It's very much like things like I used to be, like, didn't feel like I could be pretty. I didn't feel like I had permission to be sexual in lots of different versions of that story but like thanks for showing me that I could or giving me permission to so there's a lot of really interesting ones like mm. that and I saved hundreds and hundreds of them every single one I love to read them on planes because I feel like your emotions are heightened on airplanes totally. and you can't the do amount of times I've mm -hmm. cried on a plane and you can't really what else are you going to do up there so I can like really open them and savor them and it's just, it has a lot of meaning for me to read them on airplanes for mm, some reason. That's so nice. Yeah, I feel like it's kind of like a friend giving you a plane letter to read. Mm -hmm. Totally. Um, and the last one, what's the most valuable piece of advice you've ever been given? Wear sunscreen. <laughs> <laughs> Moisturize. No, really. I feel like there's like, I love talking to old ladies like in there that are pushing 100. I have a few of them on in my phone that I like to call and... Oh, and also watch your finances. You know, had Mamie Van Doren told me, she goes, she said, you know, Mamie Van Doren, she's like a 50s pinup, like goddess, like she's amazing. She said, I know it's not fun and you don't want to look at what your accountants are doing, but you have to. It's very important that you know what's going on with your finances. Mm. So I was true. Like, yeah. I hate that. I hate having <laughs> to look at that stuff. Advice. Yeah, so do we. And mm -hmm. like, I think as women, often we do yeah, hate yeah. it, but it's important. Mm -hmm. Totally. True for all women. Great advice. Okay, amazing. Well, thank you so much for making the time for us and having us in your most beautiful house. We just absolutely love it here. Thanks for coming. Special. Sorry about the random meows in the background. Oh, oh it just added to it. I think it, they really. were welcome. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. And we can't <laughs> wait to, I mean, everybody can't wait to have you in Australia. I can't wait to be there. Awesome. Thank, thank you. you. Was that just so incredible, you guys? Dita is just so amazing. She has so many incredible insights and is full of Kylie Jenner cheeseburger stories. Mm. I also just love her attitude towards like women and being sexy. Like I'm definitely the type of person that's in my Calvin Klein briefs. Like that's the best I got. Like and I, Calvin Klein on a good day. Otherwise yeah, yeah. it's bonds. Otherwise it's bonds. It might be ripped and it's mostly ripped. And I feel like I... Elliot's you know, a lucky, lucky man. <laughs> go, going into the conversation with Dita, like I would have thought that it would be like, you know, it has to be my way. Like my mm. way is sexy. And she wasn't like that at all. She was very much like whatever works for you, that's what's going to be your thing. And I think so that true. that is really, really cool. Also, she has the most flawless skin I have ever seen it up close on a human being. So I'm really going to take her wear sunscreen thing to heart. Mm. But also focus on being beautiful on the inside because I love that too. So if you did love this episode, there are a few things that we would love to ask you to do to get the word out. You can leave us a review in the podcast app. You could leave us five stars if you're feeling mighty generous today. You could share a photo on Instagram with where you are listening from, or you could also DM us and just tell us what you thought. 
So next week on the podcast, in celebration of the How to Live x Paired Sunglass Collaboration, we have the founders of Paired Eyewear on the podcast. Oh my goodness. Samantha Stevenson and Edward Baker. I don't know that his name is Edward, but it's we call him Ed, but let's yeah. just pretend it's Edward. So we have this dynamic duo on the podcast. They have built a mega sunglasses empire and we are personally so excited to get to sit down with them and grill them on how they have built such an incredible business. Here's a little snippet. When we first started, I was doing everything myself, designing, sending orders out, trying to sell them to stockists. I couldn't have done that forever. The marketing side and the business side isn't my strong suit. The creativity is. And whilst I understand being commercial and, you know, selling a product, it's not my strong suit. So having Ed there is imperative. That's on the podcast next week. Until then, have a beautiful week and wear sunscreen. That's what I'm going with. Bye. See ya.